Alright, well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Nitrogen Podcast. Uh, this is John, and with me, as always, is Charlie. Charlie, how's it going? Dude, I am awesome. Uh, well, before we get started, uh, I'd just like to thank our interviewees this week. Uh, Charles Fishman, author of The Big Thirst. Uh, Vicki Schultz, Mary Stevenson, and Chrissy Cooper from Catholic Charities in Flint, Michigan. Uh, especially thank you to Miss Mary Stevenson. Uh, I called her up one Thursday afternoon and showed up uh, about two hours later. Uh, and she was very kind and um, catching with everybody else there. Yeah. Uh, Professor Hanneman from Arizona State University as well. Uh, and with that, we're talking this week about water. Water. Yeah. We're drinking right now. We, we are consequently both drinking water. Yeah. So if I was to ask you where water came from, where did you get that water from? What would you uh, say? The faucet. The faucet? The faucet. Yes. Yes. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually um, pretty typical. Yeah people where water comes from. Nine out of ten will say it comes from a tap. I'm Michael Hanneman. I'm a professor of economics at Arizona State University, and I specialize in the economics of water and energy and climate change. I mean, the, the water supply system is invisible to us. You see the faucets, you know, you see the flush toilet in your house, but you don't see what lies behind it. And the whole, you know, 90 plus percent of the system more is what lies behind it. So at, at least with roads or bridges, you can kind of see if the bridges look in disrepair. So if the dam is uh, not in great condition, if the aqueduct isn't in great condition, you don't see that. You just, you just see your faucet. I mean, eventually you see brown water coming. So water does come from the faucet. Right. But where does it, how does it get you from the faucet? Through our infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, things of that nature. Have you ever thought about how you, the water from Lake Michigan gets to you? A lot of pipes, a lot of uh, waterways. Yeah, and the thing is, you can't really see it, right? So, like, think of telephone poles. How many telephone poles do you see normally? Like, on your walk to work? Yeah, you see them all the time. Right. Yeah. But uh, water, like, what about water? You don't see water pipes. You just turn on the faucet, get your water. You never think, like, oh, these pipes need uh, treatment or whatever. You Mm -hmm. can't see them. They're invisible. Right, right. Uh, Charles Fishman, actually, he, uh, he talks about that as well. The water system we rely on in the United States is the best in the world, and it relies on truly brilliant engineering, most of which was put in place 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Uh, And part of the brilliance of the system is that it's invisible. When you've had the experience, when you ask people where their water comes from, they say it comes from the tap. They don't have any idea where the water comes from. That's because the pipes are invisible, and the water treatment plants are invisible, and the wastewater treatment plants are invisible, and even in many cases, the source of the water itself is invisible, even when we have spectacular, beautiful reservoirs that are actually drinking water storage areas. People don't understand that their drinking water is coming from the reservoir. They just think, hey, that's a beautiful lake. Like in Chicago, we take it for granted because we just see it right there, but I was thinking, like, if you're, like, in Kansas or... You know, Oklahoma or, you know, somewhere just in the middle of the plains and you don't have a, a lake right by you, you may have just like a bunch of ponds and stuff. Oh, yeah, little, little, little rivers. Right, right. Stuff, but because yeah. most of the water comes from the ground, right? Yeah. But even to you, the water comes from underground, right? Yeah. We take it for granted. We do take it for I granted, just... right? And all of that invisibility is by design. The water utility people are really proud of it. There's another element to the invisibility which is really important. The water system in America, by and large, is perfect. It almost never fails. In fact, when it fails, as in Flint, 
as in Toledo, Ohio, a couple summers ago. It's so unusual and so dramatic and so disruptive that it's big news. It hits certain areas probably harder than others, right? Because if there isn't a way, like an easy mechanism to have water get to you, right? Or maybe people don't have cars or the transportation infrastructure. So, you know, in Chicago, there's the L and there's, the, you know, the buses. But in Flint, when I was there, uh, there's, there's just pretty much a handful of buses. Yeah. And they're just going through uh, the road. Not many people have cars. So if you can't drink the tap water. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. When I was there, uh, I did some investigating beforehand. I was actually watching it as it was going on. Do you know, are you familiar with what happened in Flint? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, they used to purchase their water from Detroit. Detroit used to take mm-hmm. care of their water situation. Um, and then, I guess, to save money, the government of uh, Michigan, Flint, whatever, mm-hmm. um, decided to reverse that and use the water from Flint River. Right. right. Yes. So... Um, but then what happened was, I guess they weren't taking care of their pipes or they weren't properly treating the pipes and then mm-hmm. the lead got into the water. Um, and that's what started, uh, causing all this, all this outrage because, you know, the water obviously wasn't drinkable. Right. Uh, so to add a little bit more to that, it, they were purchasing their water from Detroit, yeah. right? Uh, Detroit was changing the water rates for Flint. So they said, you know, I think the city of Flint can do a cheaper job with, uh, yeah. water. How would you, how would you think you would react if one day... I said to you, don't drink the water. Don't, you, you know, I always said that we get water from the faucet. Yeah. <laughs> don't drink that water in the faucet. What do you think? How do you think you'd react to it? Uh, what? What do you, like, you gotta be joking me. Like, all right. Yeah. Ha ha. Real funny. I'm going to drink your water anyway. No, we go. Um, <laughs> or I'll get proof from someone. Cause that's just unbelievable. It wasn't like you have a lot of time to analyze or think about it. You just sort of your, your boots hit the ground. And I would say almost the minute it was declared water start pouring in. And I knew something was up because I was at a rotary meeting at noontime on a Friday. And they were tracking me down. And my cell phone said, you need to call immediately. And it was uh, the United Way director. And he was at an emergency command center. I thought, what is up? And it just said, can you leave your meeting and come now? And I thought... Well, this is interesting. I, I mean, I don't even know where Come To was. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't even know this chance, and it was in the lower level of the county building. So I got up out of Rotary and went down and found this thing. And sure enough, they had already appointed a state emergency manager. They called it the State Command Center. And he's a state police officer. And it was set up like a whole command center with all these police officers and everything. And they were ready to be able to tackle this because the calls are going to get flooded in, 211. The news is going to cover it. And they were trying to be prepared for when this breaks. So the arrangement at that time was that semis are going to start coming in immediately of people that are going to donate water. And the semis would all go to the food bank because they have a loading dock and they have... Uh, forklifts and all that. In Catholic Charities, we'd like you to take everything less than semis. So that might be the pickup truck, the car thing, anything it, you know, anything that wasn't on pallets because we didn't have. And it's like okay, so that was the message. So we, it was really just giving clear message with clear instructions. So the state was setting up the fire stations for distribution. Catholic Charities, you will help fill the fire stations. It never even got to that point. I, did we ever supply water to a fire station? Not once. Not once. I mean, because the demand here, because then the food bank got to the point, we're full. We don't need any more. Well, I'm not going to turn water away because just because you're full. 
when we're full, it would be stacked everywhere, and Mary can attest to that, and all my employees could. The hallways are full. My office can be full. I mean, mm -hmm. I can find room to take water as long as it keeps coming. But you can see, like, they had a plan, right? They're, like, sure. it was, they threw it together one day. They called her up, and they said, hey, you got to get here right now. She had no idea, right? She gets there, and th we can't drink the water, right? What? Right? <laughs> like, just think about it. Like, there was lead in the water that it was, it was like, hurting people that moment. Per drink, like, yeah. yeah, like, don't drink that. Right? So what happened was they, the city didn't um, treat the water. So the, these pipes have lead coatings. And when they're building it themselves, they claimed that uh, these lead coatings, you have to, like, figure out the right combination of, like, this chemical to the, you know, drinkable water level. Right. Right? To, like, make sure it doesn't uh, rust the pipes. So we're just not going to have it on quite yet. But that went on for a while. And they, they essentially cheaped out and didn't pay for this treatment plant because water is expensive. The infrastructure of water is expensive. It's actually the most expensive of all of our resources that we get infrastructure-wise. Yeah, I feel like we don't pay that much for water, though, even though it's <laughs> that expensive to keep, you know, upkeep and stuff like that. So. Yeah, you, you, you pointed something out. That is the yeah. truth. Yes, we don't pay very much for how much it is. Some places yeah. it's more outstanding than others, but yeah. we don't pay enough for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I've, I've never paid... I paid a water bill once. And I was a fraternity member of... You mentioned that actually, yeah. 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 So yeah. I was I was in charge of paying all the bills. I'm like, oh, water bill? I've yeah. I've never had to pay this, uh, but uh, yeah, and especially when you live in apartments, you don't have to pay them. You know, honestly, uh, I've never paid. When we were talking right. about this the other day, right. You asked me, you were like, did you ever pay for a water bill? And yeah. I was like, you know, man, no. When I was in the fraternity, the treasurer paid for that. Like, <laughs> I had other shit I was doing. Yeah, so I wasn't even like, all right, and it was, and it's the cheapest one. It's the cheapest one. It's mm -hmm. cheaper than electricity. It's, it's the cheapest bill there is. It is the cheapest by far. It is. Yeah. You're right. There are. Two key economic facts about water, which are not widely realized. One is, water is the most capital-intensive utility that exists. It's much more capital-intensive than electricity or natural gas or telephones or cell phones. So almost 90% of the cost of water supply is capital cost. More than that, the capital is really very unforgiving. You have to have the complete network in place before you can deliver a drop of water. Now, let me uh, qualify that for a moment. If you're using groundwater, that is much more flexible and much more modular. Uh, I can drill a well you know, by, on my property. You can drill a well on your property as long as there's groundwater underneath. And so um, you can expand in a modular manner by drilling additional wells. If you're talking surface water, where you're taking water from a stream uh, or a lake, this is uh, extremely unmodular. I mean, you have to have, let's say, a dam built. You have to have an aqueduct to carry water from the dam site to the city. You have to have a drinking water treatment plant, and you have to have a pipe network in place before you get, before anybody gets a drop of water from the faucet. So there's so many factors we, we have to consider before even turning on the water. So much operational cost going on that you have to, to think about before even turning on the water. So I guess that's, that's what he's talking about. It gets really pricey, uh, the water yeah. system. So it's, it's, it's really the economy of scale. Right. So for me to, to go across the street, right, or for me just to, to dr dig a hole in my backyard to get some water and then run some pipe to get into my house, I don't need that big of a pipe. No. It's just me, right? <laughs> Like, sure, I'll be showering and washing dishes and watering the plants, maybe, whatever. 
my pipe that I would need for my house wouldn't need to be that big. No. Even though it's just doing that. But look around us, right? To get all of these houses, you have to have a giant pipe that's going through here. That's a big pipe job. Right. And then it's got to be able to go all the way through this little spiderweb network underground to get to us. And then you have to get water treatment plans. Yep. Right? You have to get the, the network to make sure you test the water. Right. The what about employees, what, everyone you're paying right? for? And it. then after uh, you're done using it, right? But what about the fact of, like, how long do you, do you want that to last? If you were a mayor and you're building a new water system, how long do you want it to last? As long as possible. Once you've got it in place, there the two more features that are tough. It's going to last for 100 years, possibly, or 150 years. So, you know, the dam is going to sit there and provide storage for a century or more. But the people who benefit from it, a century, who live a century from that, aren't here to pay today. It's today's water users that have to finance this whole infrastructure. And if for some reason, you know, the population declines, you can't salvage that capital and use it somewhere else. You know, if this was the telecommunications, you could take the computers and the network switches from this location and reuse them someplace else. But you can't take an aqueduct or, or, or pipe network in the streets and use it anyplace else. So it, you have to have all the capital in place. It's going to benefit people for generations, but they're not around to pay for it. You know, how, how motivated, I can't, he kind of breaks it down, like how motivated would you be to invest in something that, you know, eh, it's a hundred years from now. Yeah, that'd be. I mean, that'd be awesome. Cause be like, I'm helping so many people out, you know. And I'm like, be a great freaking mayor. Like everyone's gonna love me. You'd have to be like George Washington and really worried about your legacy. Yeah. Like, oh man, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a hundred years. Hundred years, dude. Right. Yeah, the, one of the things that was interesting when I was going through this, and I'll post these interviews online as well, but they summarize, it's hard to muster support to, to raise water rates or to make any right. any change when you, these are 100-year investments, right? Yeah, it's not sexy. It's not like, <laughs> and you can't see it, too. It's invisible, too. It's not like, oh, man, look at that. Look at, look at, look at that job we did on those pipes. I, you know, my, my money, my tax money was, was, was so worth it, you know? Um, and, and I guess this goes back to, like, when we take it for granted. It's like, nah, I don't want to... Right? <laughs> he made an excellent play with the power thing. Like, power, you always have power. Right. Right? But even power sometimes is like, you, you know, my power's out. I'm like, oh, wow, dude, that sucks. Imagine, yeah, a, do you imagine yeah. the power goes out? Oh, my God, dude. It's cool because it gets you to go outside and do things. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, especially in the summertime. These are things that we yeah. can remember happening and, like, have had happen, right? Right. Like, I've never had my water not. So, like, I, I lived in Morris with my grandparents for a minute, uh -huh. too, right? And... That was a well. We always had well water. Right. Sometimes when you would turn the faucet on, it'd be brown a little bit, but you just like run it through. Just let it run for a minute. Run it for a minute, and then yeah. you're good. You know, you're fine, and you can just drink it from the so tap. Yeah. We had Brittas and stuff, but you can, you know, you can drink it from the tap. It was yeah, fine. I like Brita. I yeah, Brita. Um, yeah, so we, we don't remember. There's like no. Oh, remember the water shortage of '94? No. Oh, no. do you remember that? Oh, it was awful. No. I didn't. I didn't. No. I didn't bathe for like four days. Imagine what it would be like if there was a water shortage. Transportation is a huge issue here in the city. Um, it's just hard for a lot of people to get even to doctor's offices or to get to the fire stations and pods and things like that to pick up water. Um, we have a great bus system with MTA, but they aren't everywhere, obviously, right. and it's hard to carry your five cases of water home with you on the bus. 
And um, even if you got one case and you were frail or you couldn't lift, right. and you're carrying one case of water, it's what, 28 pounds? So one case of water, and then what's that? If you're cooking with it and you're drinking with it and you're brushing your teeth with it, right. you're going to go through a case of water in no time. So if you've got to do that every day, and a round-trip bus ticket is $3, I think, if you're in the mm-hmm. city. Uh, so many of these folks don't even have that, and that, that would add up over time too. So pretty much, since there was the water uh, crisis and you're poor, uh, you don't have any mode of transportation, you're probably going to get less water, and you're probably screwed. That was, uh, it was Chrissy Cooper and uh, yeah. Vicki Schultz that were talking. Uh, the uh, Center for Hope is what they call what they do. So they were explaining to me that in Flint, there's like few places you can go to, to really kind of get taken care of. Yeah. So you can go to the food bank. The food bank gives you food. You know, you can go other places. But the Center for Hope really does everything, right? So they have like a soup kitchen. They have sandwiches. They have a warming center. Uh, and now they're helping with water. But 38% of the population of Flint is below the poverty line. Wow. So they really, you know, laid it out for you, like $3 bus ticket, like, wow. And then I have to just carry a case of water. I had to go in L.A. and take the bus back from the airport. I was going to be out there for a while. I had a, a big suitcase, like a duffel bag, right? Sure. And that and a backpack on the bus was terrible. <laughs> and I just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's go through it. But having to do that every day yeah, just to get water. To get a thing that I just yeah. got from the faucet, like, two seconds ago. Right. Or, yeah. like... You know, I'm hot. Oh, I'm just get some water. Or like, right. I need to do laundry. Oh, just get some water. Sure. Right. Yeah. Wake up, shower. Go get some water. Yeah. How do you do all that basic stuff? You need water for so many things. How is that 38% gonna get anywhere near the amount of water? That's well, when a crisis happens, right? Right. So it wasn't always like this in the states, right? So we weren't always being able to have great water systems and things like that. The Chicago River, way back when, like the early like turn of the century, was getting all the sewage from the city. Sure. And as it was doing that, it was all going into the Chicago River, and it was dumping out into the lake. Oh, and that's the, right. Yeah, I do remember that. No. Right? Like, if you go no. off onto the lake shore and you see those little tower, like, uh, nipply-looking things, those are the water intake valves. So they did something that was pretty crazy. They reversed the flow yeah. and just kind of, like, screwed St. Louis, actually. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, uh, I heard once that uh, if the EPA was around, they would have been like, oh, Chicago. Yeah. yeah you can't do that. Yeah, no, no. But yeah, that was a big thing. Like he, uh, Professor Hanneman gets into it. But around like the turn of the century, everybody was, was just kind of dumping everything. And they started realizing, hold on, we should probably treat the water. In 1900, between 1900 and 1910, among the engineering profession, about what to do about it. And the decision that that was taken in the consensus view was we should treat drinking water, but we shouldn't treat sewage. Well, that helped. I mean, that was much better than not doing anything, but it wasn't, it turned out not to be a perfect solution. So what happened um, in the decades of the the 20th century was um, cities started uh, doing, uh, using primary treatment of sewage. And so they stopped dumping completely untreated sewage into rivers and lakes, but the amount of treatment was not very high. Sewage. Yeah. Good call on treating it. That that's a good call yeah. on that. I've never heard sewage say so many times, but when you don't even think about it, right? Like there's just like your water goes somewhere and then it needs to go yeah. somewhere else, right? It's it's, it's gonna get to where it right. needs to go. Right. And yeah. like the Chicago River, they were like, ah, oh, whatever, like it's gonna get where it needs to go. <laughs> Send hey, it towards don't, the, we, whatever, don't worry about yeah. it. Send it towards St. Louis. Future me will worry right, about it. Right, right, right. Yeah. We'll we'll just have to deal with it later. Yeah. But Flint is an example of what it's like if you just can't drink it, right? Yeah. So you can't get it and uh, and Vicky, she talks a really great uh, time about what it's like working. You do Uber, right? Yeah. 
So your day really wouldn't matter with, with no water, right? Yeah, I, I tend to drink very, very few amounts, uh, so I don't have to uh, take breaks all the time. For me, so like I work right. in an office, right? Like making coffee or anything like that, or just drinking from the tap, right? Like just being in a building, yeah, you're going to need some water, and she gets into that. So it's been a lot of extra work for us in many, many different aspects of everything we do here. Now, Chrissy talks about the water distribution, and we've been doing that since day one, but you've got to think about our soup kitchens. You've got to think about the people who stay in our warming center. I mean, we've had to worry about, you know, 180, 100 employees, you know, and we're, how we make coffee and what do we, you know, bottled water here and you can't turn the faucet on anymore. So just working in an environment that's open from basically 8 to 8, you know, there's 12 hours, and then the warming center, we're still making meals in the evening and those kinds of things. You just had to worry about gallon jugs of water, how you're going to rinse pasta, how you're going to cook your vegetables, how you can, and we're serving over 15,000 meals a month. So they had like double duty. They're like, all right, well, we got to worry about giving other people water, but like we also have to like worry about our water. So we got like a double thing going on. That's props to her. I actually walked out of there. I felt like I had a shot of espresso because they had so much energy. Like, yeah. like, even though they had all this to worry about, like, look at us. We're like, we're struggling to think about what it's like to be without water, right? Yeah. And then like she just like glaringly says, oh man, like we had to think about you can't turn the faucet on. Like, they're making soup, right? Like, they have a soup kitchen, right? Can't use yeah. the water for the soup kitchen anymore. Right. Uh, all these other factors that are going through. And she mentions, like, go back to the transportation thing, right? What if you're living in Flint, right? She's thinking about having a center where she's providing for people. So she's able to help a lot of people with that, right? Exactly. But if you just lived and you had, you had a family and a house, like, that's a whole other thing. You know, you really had to stop and think about it. And then the employees that I have that live in the city of Flint, it's sad because you'll see them in their car and then they'll drive up and they put cases of water in their trunk. And you talk to some of those and they just say every day it's just another burden, another thing they got to worry about. You know, you always got to have bottled waters in your bathroom because... I'm sure it would take me a while because I would just want to immediately brush my teeth and just think you turn the faucet on and not thinking, oh, i got to take a glass in there, i got to take a bottle of water in there, and I'm going to brush my teeth now. I mean, I would have to really stop and get myself in a different habit. So I think just doing that. And a lot of them were worried, you know, at first it was like, can you bathe in it? Can you shower in it? Can you do all these kinds of things? So there's been lots of controversy about that, but the last word we get from the public health officials is, for any adults, it's not a problem. It must have been an excruciating situation. What are you like, wait, all right, what's the first thing you do? You wake up, right? What do you go? You go, you go to the bathroom, bathroom, right? Yeah. Brush your so, teeth, right? Brush your teeth. Uh, so you turn on the, uh, oh, can't turn that thing on, got to go get some bottled water, and then go and get a cup, and then do this, and do that. At least we have bottled water everywhere, like going That's back true. to the turn of the century when they first started thinking about this stuff, because there was like Roman aqueducts and stuff like that, like water's sure. been around, you know, obviously, but... um they didn't have bottled water places, right? Like, you just had to just drink whenever it was around, I guess, right? Oh, for sure. But the transportation, like, their employees at least have cars, like the bus and everything. It's it's crazy. And she goes into a little bit more about, they have this center, right? They have this, this big area that they had soup kitchens, right? They had sandwich, they had warming. She tells a, a great story about this guy yeah. seeing him out in the parking lot and eating a sandwich and realizing it was cold and he wouldn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And now they have a, a place where they have, you know, beds. So they have this whole thing and water, right? Something yeah. so basic, she never thought of it, and she, and she gets into that, too. Living like a third-world country, you know? Yeah. You just can't yeah. even imagine we'd ever see this day. Well, and that's sort of like when this all got announced. I mean, we have soup kitchens, you know, one on site here. I have a warming center where people stay 24-7, sleep on the floor, come with, give them a bag to sleep on or a quill or something. You then get all their personal need items here. And like I said, so we feed them, we're clothing them, we're giving them what they need. 
I didn't think anything come more basic than that. And then all of a sudden, oh, I guess there is water. And it's water, something that she never would have thought of. She can take care of all these other basic needs, but she never thought another basic need would be water. So around the turn of the century, they start thinking about it. They're like, yeah. oh, we're going to treat that stuff before we dump it, when we're done with it. But we don't really have to worry about when we're getting it, right? Like, why, why not? So have you ever heard of the Clean Water Act? Clean Water Act? Uh, no. Okay, so uh, Nixon actually signed it. Uh, it was in 1972, and uh, Professor Hanneman gets into it. Uh, and so by about 1960, we had 100% primary treatment, but a very small fraction of secondary treatment. And the Clean Water Act in 1972 did two things. It required secondary treatment of sewage, sort of for all municipalities. And it provided for federal subsidy to build sewage treatment plants. And um, in the end, there was, a, there was something like the federal government, if I recall, provided 75% subsidy of the construction cost of a treatment plant, and, and states typically kicked in another 20%. So municipalities which built secondary treatment plants um, had essentially 95% of the capital cost subsidized. They were forced to build secondary treatment plants, and they did. And by 1990, we had essentially universal secondary treatment. All right, so the government uh, is pretty much paying for all these municipalities to treat their water. Yeah, so when you paid that uh, fraternity water bill, who did you pay it to? It was in Champaign. Oh, it was in Champaign. So it was like a water department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so water departments aren't federal. So like when you pay them, they set the water rates, all of that. Just like in Flint, right, they're in charge of it. Um, so the Clean Water Act said, hey, we're going to fund you to build treatment plants, to treat the water, and make sure it's okay. And that was in 1972, and by 1990, it was great. That was a good act. Right? That, was a, that was a great act. So right? Congress actually got together, made something <laughs> you know, concrete, and actually came, you know, came through. That's awesome. Good yes, shit. yes. Congress came together and did something. Nice. Wow. Nice. Wow. Nixon. Yep. Well, thanks for tuning in from wherever it is that you tune into your podcasts. This episode ran a little bit long, so we decided to split it into two parts. Next week, we'll continue talking about water infrastructure and trying to learn a lesson from Flint. For everyone involved in the Nitrogen Podcast, a sincere thanks. And from everyone here, thank you for listening.